Join us for an extraterrestrial twist this Thanksgiving. While you're carving the turkey, we're unraveling the spine-tingling tales of UFO sightings around the time of the Roswell incident. From Kenneth Arnold's jaw-dropping encounter to Flight 105's eerie incident, we're serving up a side of otherworldly mysteries. Tune in as we explore these uncanny sightings, giving you something truly extraordinary to digest alongside your Thanksgiving feast. scoured the podcast world and finally found us newsworthy with steve and jerry where we delve into all things mysterious macabre or out of this world and decide if they are truly newsworthy two words and two question marks why should you work with ed Locke? A better question is, why wouldn't you work with him? He is a proud to support an amazing lender, USA Mortgage. When you work with them, you can expect a home financing experience that is free of hassles and headaches. They have complete control over your loan due to in-house operations such as processing, underwriting, closing, and funding. USA Mortgage represents a lot of fantastic things but they are especially thrilled to partner in several community outreach programs, including Habitat for Humanity, Home Sweet Home, Veterans Community Project, and many, many more. They love going to work every day, which means they love working for you. Ed wants to be your lender for life, so reach out to him today and get the journey started. If you would like more information, please reach out to Edlock at area code 502 NMLS 448-908, USA Mortgage NMLS 227-262. USA Mortgage is an equal housing lender. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions may apply. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Good evening, Mr. Brett. How's it going, Steve? Man, it's good. Now I have a question. Yeah? I need to know what it's like sitting in the big chair. I, I'm in the I'm in the big, big chair. I got I got some big shoes to fill tonight. Man, you got the cushion, you got the back. Oh, I know. I'm just leaning Shoot. back here. I gotta I gotta make sure I don't fall asleep over here. I don't see how Jerry does it. Shoo, I'm telling you. So Jerry is not with us tonight. He's got a little bit of flu running through the family, so Prayers out to him. He's going to get to feeling better, I hope. But, yeah, Brett's in. He's sitting in the big chair. He, he looks really comfortable, Jerry. I tell you just what, saying. Jerry, you might just have to sit over here in the <laughs> stool. <on this. laughs> I think I'm. this is my spot now. <laughs> Finders keepers. Finders keepers. I love it. So that's good stuff. So tonight, um, Brett, we're going to talk for the second week about Roswell. Oh, yeah. Much too big of a topic to go into one week. We're going to extend it not for two weeks, but actually three weeks. Next week, we're going to have a guest. Clay Davis is going to join us. Woohoo, Clay. 
Um, and we're going to talk about one guy next week that we're not going to talk about tonight. We didn't talk about yesterday or last week, but you can't not speak of this guy when you bring up Roswell. So it's going to be really exciting. Clay's done a lot of research on him, and we're going to get into that next week. So this week's going to be like the connector between the two. What are you drinking over there tonight, Brett? Or- I'm drinking some, uh, it's called Yellowstone. I actually don't even remember where it's made, but <laughs> it's pretty good. It's a good bourbon. Oh, good. Isn't that made down in like... Uh, That's what I'm looking for. It's in Kentucky. Yeah, sure. it's, I want to say, gosh, was Lebanon. it? Lebanon. Lebanon. Lebanon, yeah, I've seen I've seen the brewery down there. I sold the house down there. It's it's a good bourbon, I, I have to say. It's and it's not too expensive, too. So if you if you like bourbon, Yellowstone's good. What, you, what about you, Steve? You drinking uh, some more... Uh, Cold Sweet Red. I'm drinking Purple Toad Winery, and it is also local. Paducah, Kentucky. And I'm drinking Lauren's Blackberry tonight. Mm. It's delicious. Not a wine guy. Not a wine guy. I don't know. It, wine it's, affects me differently. I don't, I don't know why, but I'll drink one glass of wine, and I'll it'll mess me up. I could drink half a bottle of bourbon and be fine. <laughs> well, I've learned... Let me tell you a funny story. First time I ever drank wine. We was at my in-law's house. First time I'd ever been down there. Yeah. That we were going to stay. And my mother-in-law, and I know she's going to hear this story, but I didn't want to be rude. I didn't really like the wine, but it was kind of sweet. So I didn't want to waste it, so I chugged it, right? Chugged the first glass. Right. And she's like, oh, your glass was empty. Let me refill it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, er, you know. no, please don't. <laughs> well, I didn't say that because I didn't want to be rude. Right, right. So she refilled it. And, uh, you know, they weren't looking, so I chugged that one. <laughs> and that happened like two more times. And oh, man. I was obliterated. <laughs> <laughs> the very first time around my in-laws in that kind of capacity. And I just got, oh, Obliterated. <laughs> I couldn't stand right. <laughs> but it's a, have you loved wine ever since, or was it like a gradual thing? No, no, I didn't even like it then. I, it took a long time for me to realize that a I like sweet reds, yeah, but they have to be cold. And I don't even remember where that came about. I just it, you just had it one time. And yeah, Jerry and I decided one day that. We like this, but we like it cold, and that's what we've been with ever since. So I, I feel like that I had the same thing with bourbon. It was like the first time I drank it, it was somebody was giving it to me, and I was like, "This is awful. This literally <laughs> tastes terrible." But I'm gonna drink it. And I was like, oh, oh. "Try just try not to gag in between every sip." And then you know you have it with ice, and you load it up with ice or load it with Coke just to get the bourbon taste out. It's still like hard swallowing. You're like. I'm starting to like this. And then you kind of like, you have it with ice. And you're like, oh, it's not too bad. It's watered down. And then you have it. And I, like I said, I drink every bourbon just neat, no ice, not chilled, room temperature. That's my favorite way to drink it. Love it. Ever since, I, I don't know. It's, a, it's definitely acquired taste, but definitely. once you get it, once you get it, it's. I don't ever want to acquire. <laughs> I don't want to. I see, here's the thing with bourbon. I love the effect of bourbon. I do not love the getting there. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it tastes like rubbing alcohol on steroids. You got to have some good bourbon. Right. I, 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 would, I will agree. The cheaper bourbon 
it's not it's more rub and alcohol taste. But once you get into the the better bourbons, in my opinion, I'm I'm a high proof guy. Like I like barrel proof bourbon because it's got all the flavor. It's not watered down. It's good Mm. stuff, man. You're talking to somebody who likes Mick Ultra. Okay. Which is the water of beer. <laughs> Essentially, it's, it's water with a taste of beer. The lighter the beer, the happier the steam. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> sorry for all those Mick Ultra fans, but not for me. We know. It's okay. We understand. We know. <laughs> oh, man. So, to tomorrow, uh, it's Wednesday, but tomorrow is Thanksgiving. How about that? I, yeah, it's crazy, crazy to me that it's already Thanksgiving, almost December. It is insane. It's, I always used to, and you're young, you're quite a bit younger than Jerry and I, but when you get to be my age, and Jerry's age especially, because he's so much older than I am. 35's not that old. Don't give him the big head. <laughs> you will learn and realize. That when older people tell you that the older you get, the faster it goes, that is so accurate. Which is crazy because I, I'm literally thinking that exact same thing. It's like I keep getting older and I'm telling you, it feels like yesterday and we just had our New Year's New Year's party. Yeah. And we're already getting ready for our next one. It's like, man, it's just flying by. Yeah, it's insane. It really is. And, um Yeah. I feel like kids have kind of sped it up too. It's like oh, you're yeah. well you got how many? Three? Three, yeah. Yeah. So, you are always busy. Always busy, yeah. Always looking forward to the next thing, I guess. I'm actually looking forward to the next part of life. You know, our youngest is about to graduate and move on. Yeah, to he's his a senior, world. right? So, so yeah. yeah, that's going to be so bizarre. Yeah, I have never in my adult life not had children in my house. That's crazy. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you have it. <laughs> So, I am, like, chomping at the bit. And he's like, well, I think I'll just stay in my room till I'm 25. No, 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 no. <laughs> Your room is already, you already have, there's already plans. There's already plans. <laughs> so, he's like, What's, what, what are we doing for your room? And I'm like, okay, so when you move out, the day after you graduate and go to college, that day, I'm coming in and painting. There's a window in his room. I'm painting a big sun picture on that wall, big mural. And on the far wall away from that, I'm going to put one of those kiddie pools <laughs> with sand and a lawn chair in it. <laughs> and I'm going to hook up to the radio on a motion sensor. So every time I walk in the room, it automatically plays Caribbean music. Oh, my god! I can go in, sit, look at there, put some heat lamps in. Hey, that's the way to go, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. <laughs> he's in Josh's old room, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, gonna be a gonna be a hoot. Anywho, yeah. you got any big plans for Thanksgiving? Uh, actually, no. This year for Thanksgiving, and this isn't a oh woe is me thing. Um, I still haven't quite got my energy level back from the surgery for the for the the cancer or whatever. So uh, we're not we're we're actually going to Cracker Barrel. Thank God for those people being open. Oh yeah, no cleanup, no cooking. Just go there, have a good meal, come home. Yeah. So uh, if you do happen to go to one of those places, uh, Cracker Barrel, Huddle House, Waffle House, whatever is local in your area, Frisch's I think is going to be open. Uh, make sure you tip your servers good. Yeah, they're, they're away from their family, so that right. you 
can still enjoy a good meal. Uh, make sure you tip those folks good. That's how they make their living. So, one hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I, I, the worst thing is when people go in and they don't tip their servers good. It just drives me. It's, it's, I was always taught if you can't afford the tip, you can't afford to eat there. I've heard that as well. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, those guys are making what two fifty an hour most of the time. If that, if that, you know, yeah. and they they really rely on those tips. So, yeah, like you said, they're away from their family to you know provide you, you a meal. Yeah, yeah. So make sure you take care of them. So what are you? What are in in the vein now? Last year for Thanksgiving, see, here's the thing: everything's catching up so fast. Last year for Thanksgiving, we had a whole list of people that had called in or wrote in and told us what they were thankful for. We don't have that. This, so, but what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for I, have, you know, three healthy children, you know, and a, you know, I have a supporting wife. You know, I, it's nothing really you, you can ask for more than that. You know, supporting family, loving family. What are you thankful for, Steve? Uh, more than I've ever been thankful for in my entire life, I'm thankful to be alive. Oh yeah, 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 um, right. Yes, yeah. Um, you, yeah, I, you. I am very thankful that I had one small spot come up that gave me a clue that I had a serious problem going on that I had no clue I had. Um, had that not happened, uh, the doctor said I'd had that for years. I'd had you know been cancer positive for years, but was down in my chest and I would have never known it until it had spread everywhere and even as a slow growing type cancer he said that it, it would eventually grow at, to a point that you couldn't fix it Yeah. so just I'm very thankful for that I'm thankful for my family I'm, I'm thankful that all of my children are in situations where they're happy and they're growing yeah. and they're thriving they're not yeah. just existing you know, so many people in this world exist. They settle. They they do whatever. And uh, you know, there's not. I don't have a kid that I'm not proud of. Yeah. Where, regardless of where they live or what they're doing, you know. And when your kids get bigger and they get out on their own, you're going to have those same feelings. Steve, um, that's never going to happen. I'm just <laughs> going to tell you right now that my kids are going to stay the age they are right now. They're never going to grow up. <laughs> I bought that too, and it was yesterday. I'm just saying, it, it seems like yesterday. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, my daughter, she's thriving. She's got a, she's building her media empire down, and you know, with 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 Mochi's uh, all the stuff that she does, That's awesome. streaming, yeah. and you know, my other son is writing software and doing oh, yeah. crazy stuff, and you know, I I can't even think I'm allowed to speak to what he does because of all the things that he does and my other son just he's out and he's running a security team and he's going to super bowls and being security for all these big acts and in concerts and you know that's that's freaking awesome he, he loves that kind of music and those musics and now he gets to do it for free right and, that's like the best job for him i was like when he got that job i was like man that's perfect for so i'm so and he's he finally met him with someone that's just amazing i'm happy for them and you know, my youngest bio son just freaking, he just got on with a, a major police department. I'm super pumped and proud for him. And I mean, I just, I'm so thankful that they all are doing what they want to do and how they want to do it. it. It's just, it's, I can look back and think, you know, I had a small part in that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to take credit for what they've accomplished, but we got we got them to that point. So. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You know, I'm thankful that I have a, a solid family home that, you know, you know, Robin's been amazing trying to take care of me and work and go to school. And, you know, I, I just, I have so much to be thankful yeah, for. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you said, I mean, just, the list is just yeah. infinite. You know, just yeah. to be alive, just to be in, you know, this country thankful. where we. Thankful I got a, a a glorious and forgiving God that's gonna I get to meet someday and I'm not a, I'm not ashamed in any way shape or form to to to, to say that out loud yeah you know hundred uh, <laughs> percent yeah there's just a lot right it's so for much. all the problems in the world and all the problems we consider and talk about for days and weeks and months I'm thankful for what I got yeah so no I yeah whoo. That was a lot. Hey, well, speaking of Thanksgiving, so there's two, the two biggest days at the theater are Thanksgiving and Christmas. Really? So, <clears throat> I know we talked about this a little bit before the episode, but we talked about the Marvels last week, how it's performing pretty poorly. So, all I'm going to say is, if if you've seen the Hunger Games or read the Hunger Games, the Hunger Games, The Bout of Songbirds and Snakes is a phenomenal movie. We I, so I, I read the book, actually for we have a book club at work. So I read the book for that. That was kind of our book of the month. I was like, oh, oh my gosh, this is phenomenal! And I'd never read the Hunger Games. I'd I'd seen a couple of the movies, but I wasn't like really big into them. So I was like, I finished that book, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna oh I'm gonna read the Hunger Games. Finished the entire series in a week. Wow. I mean, I was just like hooked. And uh, <clears throat> so we went and saw the movie yesterday. And uh, it's about two hours and thirty-eight minutes, so it's it's a long movie, phenomenal. Like I mean, so the the two main characters are uh, played by Rachel Zegler and and Tom Blythe, straight out of the book. I mean, just perfect, perfect casting. And Sweet. Uh, you got like you got Peter Dinklage in there, you got Viola Davis in there. Um, great cast, great book book adaptation, great story. So if you're looking for a movie this weekend, where you know it's the holidays, definitely don't bring your kids. You know, there's some, you know, it, if you've seen the Hunger Games, you kind of know what it's about. It's not a kid movie, but yeah. if you, uh, you know, need a date night, you know, with your girlfriend, your wife, whatever, <laughs> phenomenal movie, a phenomenal movie. Guilty admission, Hunger Games is the entire reason I play Fortnite. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but you got you have to tell me about this because that. Well, so like Fortnite, to anybody who's ever played, it's a survival game. You shoot. You the the point is to be the last person standing out of a hundred. Well, Hunger Games was out, and I just watched it, and I kept watching my kids play this game, and I'm like, "What are you trying to do?" And they're like, "Well, you gotta be last. You gotta be the survivor." And it clicked, and I'm like, "Oh, I could do that." This is Hunger Games. This is Hunger Games, <laughs> except animated. I'm in. Yeah, still in. Guilty admission. <laughs> Another guilty admission. Um, I just spent $1,000 on a limousine, and they told me at the last minute it doesn't come with a driver. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I can't believe I spent all that money and I have nothing to show for it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just tell you, Steve told me his joke before the show. It was not bad. That's so much better. It caught me off guard. <laughs> oh man, yeah. 
Speaking of jokes, I have, a, I have a bunch of jokes about unemployed people. Oh, really? Yeah. That's not something to joke about. Unfortunately, none of them seem to work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. That brings me, that's making me cry. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) so we're 20 minutes in. Awesome. We didn't even start talking about what we were talking about. You know about. what? I hope this is the first episode of any podcast that Jerry listens to tonight. Yeah, I hope you so. Too. <laughs> it, it'll remind him so much of the um, way we used to do podcasts. Because when we first started, there's such a learning curve to this, and, and we're learning every day. Uh, that's another thing I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for Jerry. I'm thankful for the ability to do this. 100%. Jerry and I talk a lot off the air about um, I can't it's getting every year that goes by and this is going to let me take a dark turn for just a second every year that goes by I have a hard like I can't at this point in my life remember what my my grandma's voice sounded like Um, I can still remember my grandfather's because he he lasted a lot longer than she did but there's going to come a time where I can't right and even if and Jerry and I first thought about this, you know, about halfway through when we realized what we were doing, our kids and our grandkids and great grandkids are never going to have that. They're always going to be able to pull up these episodes because they're, you know, recorded for all history. At this right. Point. It's going to be on the Internet forever. Yeah. And they'll always be able to hear what we sounded like kind of get an understanding of what we believed and how we thought and what we thought was funny. And, you know, I'm so thankful for that even that, you know, even if we don't have another listener to ever download an episode, which by the way, we're leaps and bounds every week. But even if we don't, they can. Yeah. And that's pretty freaking awesome. Well, I I think I, I, I've told multiple people this. I think I've told you all this. It's like, I would do this if there was not one listener listening. You yeah. know, it's just so much fun. To, and and I actually started, you know, I remember when you sent me your, you know, the first podcast, one of the first podcasts you all ever did. You're like, hey, you might be interested in this. Like, and it was, we, I don't think we had really hung out in a while. You know, it's, you know, I'd, I'd seen you recently, but I hadn't seen Jerry in a while. And I was just right. like listening to it. It was like, man, I get to, it feels like I'm like getting to, you know, Hang out with you guys again, you know, and, and then just like yeah. continue to listen. And now I'm, you know, getting to be a part of this podcast. So yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, it was just thankful. Yeah, thankful this podcast is even here, you know, just to be able to get an excuse to hang out with you guys. It's it's awesome. Well, so. we we appreciate you hanging, and you know, the fill in role has become a permanent role. I feel, and that's good because we love having you here. We've gotten great feedback. And I was going to bring that up. Guys, we love feedback. We love interacting with you guys. We love chatting with you guys. Hit us on the text line. I was going to give the number. <laughs> I don't remember it off the top of my Unfortunately, head. Unfortunately, that's Jerry's job, and I do yeah. not remember either. So. Um, but you can always send us an email at newsworthywithstephenjerry at gmail.com. We love those. Send us your ghost stories. Send us... Uh, criticisms, critiques, right. whatever you want to do. We just love interacting with you. If you want some business cards, we can send you business cards. 
Um, we love interacting with you guys. You got a show idea, you had an encounter with Bigfoot or a scary ghost, you want to be on the show? We'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. Um, don't want to be on the show, but want to, want your story out there, we'd be happy to do that as well. So, newsworthy with Steve and Jerry at gmail.com. Um, we should probably, at 22 minutes, get into the episode. It might be a good idea. <laughs> I can literally talk about Thanksgiving most of the night. <laughs> I mean, there's just... Um, and I hope that if you sit you know, at your table or you're in your quiet space, that you have those abilities and you have those things to be thankful for in your life. Because if you don't, probably... If you... I don't want to say you should run out to change your life because I don't you everybody's situation is different but I pray that everybody has something that they can be thankful for this holiday season because um it, there's just so much that is out there yeah you know and uh, there's a lot of people out there suffering there's a lot of people hurting yeah you know? I mean you look at the you know war that's going on at you know multiple wars that's multiple going on wars. it's I mean, there's a lot of people in really terrible situations and, you know, just being thankful for, you know, being in a country. You know, we're in, obviously in America. You know, I know there's a lot of different countries that listen, but, you know, just being thankful for, you know, having a, the security of, you know, our country is a big one as well. You know, just not there, having to deal with some of that stuff. There's but. entire countries out there that don't have reliable electricity, and that's so foreign to us or in the United States. running water. Yeah. Sewer, you know, a sewer system. Yeah, we have so much to be thankful for in America absolutely. that we we take a, we take for granted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We had a uh, call in. We were doing a test show, um, and we had to be able to test what we were trying to test. Um, it was right before we switched out of Podbean and came to Lisbon. Um, we we had to do it live on air. And we had a, a lady from South Africa call in. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she called in, and we were chit-chatting with her. It was the first time that had ever happened. Oh, my God. And it was That's so awesome. cool. Yeah. But she was telling us that, you know, in South Africa, which is a developed country. Right, yeah. You know, it's, it's one of the more developed African countries. They still didn't have regular power, and they had to shut their power off for like eight, six, seven, seven, eight, nine hours at a time. So even the food in your freezer would go bad right. during the rolling blackouts. And it's like, wow. <laughs> you yeah, know, could you imagine not having a freezer or a fridge? Like you, you would just starve. Here, I, I mean, <laughs> everybody here goes to Walmart, right? And you there, rely right on that, yeah. yeah. I mean, just imagine if that wasn't there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, anywho. I didn't mean to go into that. I just <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. We have so much to be thankful for. I think so much. So anyway, let's get back to Roswell. We All got, right, we got yeah. a little bit to cover here. We got a great guest next week. Come back for that. Absolutely, Clay Davis will be here. We're going to talk about the unnamed guy that we're not naming today. But if you know Roswell, if you follow Roswell. Um, you should probably know who we haven't spoke about and how big of an impact that has to play. And he's going to be here next week to talk about that. So let's get into it. We're, t- we're going to blaze through Roswell <laughs> at this point. We, this I just want everybody to know that we were talking about this beforehand. We were like, <laughs> I wonder if we could fill all the time with this amount of information. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're good. 
Oh, man. All right, so, yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead and get into it. So we, we talked about this guy a little bit last week. This is the this, this is the guy I think that's very important to the Roswell story just because the year of 1947 was the year of the flying saucer. You know, it's it was uh, hundreds of sightings were reported um, in the summer of 1947. And it all started with... Uh, Private pilot Kenneth Arnold, in June 1924, 1947, he saw a UFO uh, past Mount Rainier. So that June afternoon, Arnold took off from Chehalis, Washington, on his way to an air show. And that was Pendle- very good, by the way. Chehalis. Chehalis. That's a cool name. That is a cool name. Chehalis. I want to go there. I heard Washington's a beautiful state. I'd it is. To- and we're going to be covering Washington, Oregon, in that area of in the very near future, because one of my favorite conspiracies is happens up there, not Bigfoot related. Right, because I know you guys you covered the Bigfoot. Oh, we've yeah. got lots of Bigfoot stuff to cover, but I'm talking about um, Mr. D.B. Cooper. I can't wait. Gotcha. Anyway, just a teaser for the future. <laughs> there you go. Stay tuned. Sorry, stay tuned. Uh, so he, went, he was on his way to an air show in Pendleton, Oregon, with a planned fuel stop at Yakima, Washington. He was an experienced pilot. He had over 4,000 hours of flying time logged. He was a member of Idaho's search and rescue unit, uh, and he was piloting a single-engine Call Air A2 light airplane at the time. So he planned to eat a detour a bit en route. Um, He was looking for a U.S. Marines Corp uh, transport that had crashed with 32 U.S. Marines on board somewhere near his eastward course. Uh, there was a five thousand dollar reward, and Arnold was hoping to uh, to claim that reward uh, reward for that. Shortly after, shortly before three p.m. that evening, as Arnold was circling his plane about twenty miles west of Mount Rainier, uh, he was searching for this plane that had been downed. He saw a bright flash to the northeast. When recounting this incident later, he stated that it startled me. I just assumed it was some military lieutenant out with a shiny P-51, and I had caught the reflection of the sun hitting the wings of his plane. After more flashes appeared, Arnold ruled out a nearby Douglas DC-4 airliner as the source, and he claimed that they emanated from nine shiny objects flying in an echelon formation about five miles long. Arnold described each object as circular, about 100 feet across, and with no discernible tail. The object appeared periodically flipped, banked, and weaved side to side in his quotation, in his quote, like the tail of a Chinese kite. He calculated the objects were flying at about 1,200 miles per hour. Some accounts say maybe up to 1,700 miles per hour, which was two times faster than any airplane known at that time. I think we talked about this a little last week, but just diving deeper into it. Months would pass before Colonel Chuck Jaeger flew the Bell X-1 rocket airplane to a speed of 700 miles per hour. So we're talking about 1,700 versus 700. So more than twice what this, uh, uh, what our our best airplane at the time could go. Um, So once this happened, people kind of took this story and run. The, The term flying saucer was was published throughout multiple media 
outlets. Arnold emphatically denied that he initially described the objects as flying saucers, but as Megan Garber wrote in her June 15, 2014 article for The Atlantic, stories of the time credit Arnold with using the term saucer, disc, and pie pan in his description of the object he had seen. He had told the story to reporters Bill Biquette and Nolan Skiff of the East Oregonian newspaper the day after his sighting. Skiff, Skiff used the word saucer-like aircraft when he published a short print article the same day. So, Steve, what do you think about this? Well, I, I think that that opened the floodgates. Uh, opened the floodgates, and that's exactly <laughs> what I was getting into. So, so just immediately after this, so we're talking about the summer of 1947. So this description was of, the, of a flying saucer was the first of 800 similar UFO sightings that summer. And, of course, one of those UFO, UFO sightings was Roswell. Um, so, again, this, this guy was kind of the catalyst that led to a, an insane amount of UFO sightings. And but here's, here's, here's the question I pose. I don't think that... Okay, let me see if I can make this into an actual question. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to what I think. I wasn't alive then, obviously. Really? Well, I mean, Jerry probably was. Jerry was definitely alive. Yeah. If you're listening, Jerry, we know we know your birth birth year. <laughs> so, anywho, um, I always give Jerry shit about him. He's only literally ten years older now, but I, I because he's ten years older, I can do that. So, anyway, but I I don't think that it opened the floodgates, but I think it gave them gave people who were seeing things a description. Right. A, yes, that's what I saw. So let me ask you this. So so obviously there had been, so after this initial sighting, this was, this was highly covered in the news, do you think that the sightings that came after were people seeing lights in the sky and just saying, oh, that's a UFO? And or or just even coming up with bogus stories just to you know make the headlines. Yes. Or do you think that there was something going on at this time period where we would have saw a bunch of UFO sightings? Yes. All of the above. Here's here. UFOs have since the beginning of time been, and I'm using air quotes here, been interested in our nuclear abilities. Guess what happened between 1942 and 1946? The Manhattan Project. Yeah. At the end of 1946, um, you know, we now have nuclear capability. Yeah. So I think that, yes, there's probably some quacks who saw whatever, you know, a string of ducks and didn't realize that they were they could fly that high, whatever. Yes, I think that there were people that saw lights that were reflecting off something they didn't understand, be it a blimp or a dirigible is what they had back then. Um, and they'd never seen that, and that was what they reported. I get that. Um, but I also think that there was a very legit reason for aliens, and I'm using air quotes again, to start making their ways around. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. So I, th- I think that the answer is yes to all of that. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and I think that still applies today. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and and again, this these 800 
UFO sightings in the summer were all in North America. Yeah. All in America. And so is, I mean, if you think about it, you can look at artwork from, you know, the beginning of artwork. Cave drawings depict aliens. Cave drawings depict things coming from the sky and sitting. I mean, this is not a new phenomenon. I just think this gives voice to... Um, it allows people to have something to attach it to. Yeah, and I, does that I, make sense? Right, and I, I think that this incident is very important to the Roswell incident, where it 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 kind of started the the shock wave across America of yes. this of this you know UFO craze, where people were were seeing this stuff, and they like you said they had something to they had something to go off of of like oh. That might be a UFO right there. Right. Like, this is Bef- something I can't explain. There, there was never that term before then. Yeah. You know. It, yeah, flying saucer was, it, like, it's, that term was completely new. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people that saw, like, cigar-shaped things, silver things in the fly. A fuselage of an airplane to someone who's never seen one in the air looks like a silver cigar because you can't hardly see the wings at a certain height. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's a lot of those mis calculated things that were solved but then there was the faction that wasn't yeah you know anyway so so a week after this so again we're we're kind of leading up to to roswell here a week after this july 4th 1947 so this is right around the time of roswell three crew members aboard a united airlines flight reported seeing multiple unidentified objects in the skies over the Pacific Northwest. So, this is around the area where Kenneth Arnold uh, saw, you know, the unidentified flying flying objects. Again, a week after. So, United Airlines Flight 105 took off from Boise, Idaho, heading to Pendleton, Oregon. The tower had actually joked when the plane took off to look out for flying saucers because of what <laughs> Kenneth Arnold had seen the week before. Oh, that's shady. So, yeah, right. so during that during the flight, co-pilot Ralph Stevens reported sighting an approaching light and turned on the DC-3's landing lights to alert an oncoming aircraft. So Steven, Stevens and Captain Emil Smith then reportedly observed what Smith termed as four or five Somethings. Smith descri- described the objects as smooth on the bottom and rough appearing on the top, but they could not say whether they were oval or saucer-like. One object was reportedly larger than the rest. The, clue- the crew later witnessed what they interpreted as four additional objects. So while airborne, Flight 105 radioed a report of the sightings to the tower in Ontario, Oregon, the crew reportedly witnessed the object for 45 miles, or approximately 12 minutes, before they disappeared in a burst of speed. Though the crew could not say whether the vanished, they vanished by outspeeding the DC-3 or by disintegrating. So out, outside the cockpit, stewardess Marty Mar- Morrow uh, reported to see the objects. According to Smith's account, the eight passengers on board had no view to witness objects which were mostly dead ahead of the plane. Isn't... I mean, this is happening in 1947. 1947. The same exact reports are happening today with our Navy, whose jets can fly at Mach 3, and we can't keep up with them. 
it's almost like they were like, eh, we're going to toy with you a bit. We just want to see what, not only, like, our F-18s, the ones that recorded Go Fast and, and, and Tic Tac, they were trying to catch these guys. Right. They were trying yeah. with everything that they could muster to get into a position to get a visual on these guys. Right. And simply couldn't do it. Yeah. It's almost like they play with us a little bit. That they're they're well, testing thing. us. This is not an Independence Day type scenario. If if this was Independence Day, these aliens could have taken us out years ago. <laughs> I mean, 1947, we would have been done. Yeah. You know, it's... it's it, we had one nuclear bomb. They are, they, two nuclear right. bombs. They are, not, they are not trying to take us out. I, and, and honestly, it, it really seems like they're trying to help us out. Well, it depends. I mean, if you think that we have one alien race, then it goes to saying that there's multiples. And then we don't know the end result of what all of them want to do, if that's the case. Maybe there is one, and they're in a conjunction, and they're playing us like puppets. We don't know. Yeah, we're the ants in the ant farm, if you will. Have you, so, have you, have you listened to? And I know we talk about Bob Lazar all the time because this is like Bob Lazar is. We're going to ti- talk about Bob Lazar. He's a titan of this higher episode very soon. Have you, have you heard where he talked about? He got like the briefing of like his you know project at Area Fifty One when he started working there, and they actually had they had the star system where. They thought that the UFOs were coming from. Really? Yeah. I think I've read enough and heard enough, and we're going to cover. I mean, there's so many topics that we're going to cover in the very near future. Um, crop circles. <laughs> right. I almost included some of those. And, and, and you know, most crop circles they have shown that those are fakes. Yeah. However. It's like everything else. For every one that's a known fake, there's at least one percentage that there's like, what the? To every to every story, there's a little bit of truth. Yes. So, and the one we're going to cover in particular is one that is very specific, that very specifically shows things that no one who's making crop circles should know. Right. Um. And some of the the um, precision of some of the information that's given in the crop circles should not be known by the average hoaxer. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty impressive. I saw this video. Uh, and, guys, I just want to throw it out there. If you guys like stuff like this, if you are into this, check out the Y Files. Um, uh, the guy, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but him and Hecklefish are phenomenal. They do a good job. They have entertaining stories. Um, and, and it just, I'm thoroughly entertained every time I listen to them. But, um, the, some of the things that they brought forth in that made me start digging deeper, which is why we're going to cover it in a future episode. It's like, holy shit. Yeah. It, it, every, <laughs> you know. every story is like, you, you you dig a little deeper and you're like, shit, dude. I, <laughs> why have I never heard of this before? Right. Like, why right. is this not taught in history textbooks? Because this is, seems like an event that should be right. I mean, it's well, you know, there's tons of witnesses, reliable witnesses, right? And it's like, why is this not a huge so part of history? How about I blow your mind? 
blow it. That's so we know about the Roswell incident, right? Yeah. Did you know there was two? I did. <laughs> well, I did after researching the first one. <laughs> right. It's kind of crazy. Now, some people deny that there was even one. Most people, you know, some people say, oh, it was Project Mogul, which I'm inclined to, okay, maybe Project Mogul was a thing. Had you told me about it first? Because you said initially, and like, we, saucer, like, yeah. like we said last week, words matter. Words matter. And the words you said in your initial thing was you had a flying saucer. And I'm going to believe you. And to retract it yeah. immediately? Right. What? Why would you retract it? Why would you put it out in the first place? Right. <laughs> Why would you ever retract it? Right. So... The second one, uh, you know, for the people that don't believe the first one, you're wrong, <laughs> honestly. Um, but the second one, who we are still, we still have people today that are still using metal detectors and they're still checking the entire mile-long strip that is the second Roswell crash. You know, it is the size of basically a Volkswagen Beetle, the the mound of dirt that's been pulled up. Um, and there's still people today that are doing that. I saw a report just yesterday on people that are still out in the middle of the desert at Roswell. This is now this re- report came out yesterday or Yeah, just- it came out last week. Wow. Oh my gosh. But they're still out there. They're still wow. finding. They're still there's still things. That the ranchers still catch the U.S. military going across their land looking for things without asking them. If that doesn't tell you anything. I mean. (laughs) There's a reason they're out there. (laughs) Exactly. So the second uh, crash was brought up by Air Force Lieutenant Colonel a lieutenant colonel, first of all, is not somebody who goes around making up trash. Yeah. Okay. They don't need notoriety. They are trying to get to be a, a general. They're only a few steps away. They're not going to be making doing things that's going to upset the potential of moving up in the company. Okay. Just, just not going to happen. You don't get to that rank and be like, ah, I don't want. Whoa. <laughs> Whoo. I don't really care about growing up anymore. Lieutenant Colonel's just fine for me. That just does not happen. Right. Okay. So anyway, Lieutenant Colonel Richard French told the Huffington Post that there were actually two crashes. Crazy, right? He says that, and I'm quoting, there were actually two crashes crashes at Roswell, which most people don't know. The first one was shot down by an experimental U.S. plane flying out of White Sands, New Mexico. And it was shot down, it was shot with what was effectively an EMP, an electronic pulse-type weapon that disabled and took away the controls of the UFO, and that's why it crashed. Now, this was in 1947. We had access to an EMP. That blows my mind. <laughs> Honestly. Yes. So, French, who was an Air Force pilot in Alamogordo, New Mexico. I, I hope I'm saying that right. If you live in Alamogordo and I'm not, send us an email. That sounds like a good, me. good pronunciation. Yeah. Um, 
1947, being tested at an altitude chamber, an annual requirement for rated officers was very specific in how the military, he was very specific in how the military allegedly brought down what he believes was a spacecraft from another world. When they hit it with the EMP, bingo, all their electronics was lost, the UFO was uncontrollable. Last week, we talked about bodies. Jerry didn't find any work on bodies. We're going to talk about bodies. I can't wait to talk about bodies. <laughs> well, don't be looking at this body. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> um, so, Mr. French, who has flown hundreds of combat missions in Korea, Southeast Asia. He had several positions working in the military intelligence. This is, again, not a guy that's going to make up stuff. No chance, zero chance, was what somebody else, one of the other guys, Army Colonel John Alexander, whose own top secret clearance gave him access in 1980s to official documents and UFO counts. He said that that was not the case. He said that that couldn't have happened, okay? He said that in 1980s, we were developing pulse power weapon systems, and there's no way in 1947 we could have had an EMP, period. If the government's telling me that there's no way we could have done it, I'm banking we probably did it. There, I, I think that's a good bet. <laughs> I'm just saying. Our government is at least, what, 10, 15, 20 years ahead of where we know that they are. They had the stealth, they had the, the one F-117... 10, 15 years before they made it public. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty big. I mean, that tells us all we need to do. Right, yeah, 100%. Um, anywho, so back to Richard French. French told um, many people that he that the White Sands Proving Ground, that, that the White Sands Proving Ground, that's known. We know that that's what that's for. They used it for bomb testing. They use it for plane testing. They use it for all these things. Um, and I want to quote him again. It was within a few miles of where the original crash was. We think that the reason that they were there at that time was to try to recover parts and survivors from the first crash. So aliens were trying to recover issues from the first crash, which is why they were there for the second. Um, and then he has seen photographs of parts of the UFO that had inscriptions on it that looked like an Arabic language and was had part numbers on each of them in the photographs that he just numbered through. An interesting story, uh, the ex-CIA agent Chase Brandon also uh, had access to a box that was in their... It was in their... Uh, uh, Evidence rooms that was simply named Roxwell. <laughs> it had a bunch of this stuff in it too. Well, and that, and that him seeing like the symbols, it sounds familiar to what Jesse Marcel Jr. saw. You know, the the eleven year old kid who you saw on the the parts that Jesse Marcel brought to his son to see, and in, in the in the actual Roswell crash. Yeah. So. Um, one of the other, and I, I won't get into this too much because Project Blue Book was a whole different thing we're not going to get into tonight. 
But it was basically a, a, a program that the government instilled because of all the sightings that you said that they were going out and they were just squashing as many of those as they could. Yeah. Um, the person that was ahead of Project Blue Book had no belief system whatsoever in UFOs, um, aliens, uh, intelligences of any sort other than us. Um, and he viewed his job as a as a squasher of whatever to make that go away. Um, we'll get into all that at, at a different time. But basically, uh, if someone had a UFO side, this guy and the other agents would go in and try to, to squash it. Um, but uh, French says that that's crazy, um, that... Uh, uh, well, let me just give you to it in his words. They never gave you, they never give you an explanation, but they'll tell you what my my analysis is. If they accepted the fact that our creatures coming to earth from other universes or from wherever, it basically would destroy religions and the fact that our military is helpless against them, that would destroy the reputation of the military. So that's why they didn't want you thinking that there was aliens. It, it totally makes sense. I mean, it totally makes sense. Because you think of like movies like Independence Day or like Ender's Game or something like that. You always think of the, the alien race that... In, 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 just in, in the case of Bob Lazar, where he was saying they had claimed to know in this, you know, this briefing that he had where, where it came from. It was 30 light years away. Yeah. We can't travel at the speed of light. No. It would take us generations to yeah. get to that star system. We don't have near the technology. No, and, and but I think we're on the cusp. I think wormholes offer the best real scenario for that. But we're not even... And, but we're not there yet. And, and, yeah, not even close. We have to be able to have manufacturing in space to be able to even get to that spot. Because most of the pay... Here's an example. Elon Musk sent his second heavy rocket up. Right. And it exploded again. I mean, yeah. everybody is... If you're uninformed, you're thinking, oh, it exploded again. What a failure. They knew that was going to happen. Yeah. It, it's not a question. These are designed to do that. They're not testing for longevity in this point. They're testing for the 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 stages. So, but and the second stage, the separation stage, is what they were testing for this time. It was the success. And instead of trying to land it at the cost and all that, they just got rid of it. So, most of the power, most of the energy, most of the payload is in fuel to beat our atmosphere. Yes. Until we get past that, till we're building either our spaceships on the moon or we're building them in space, that is the that is our limitation. We have to get past our atmosphere. 100%. I, th- I think we actually talked about this last week, but yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Is we, yeah, we have to get to where we're building our, our spaceships, rocket ships in space. Right. Because, like you said, most of the money in, in fuel or whatever is just escaping our atmosphere. If they had as much fuel on the ship as they do taking off, once it's in space, they could go to the end of our solar system. Because yeah. <laughs> it 
you once you start moving, the right. inertia that... doesn't stop you. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it's not like on Earth where gravity will eventually pull you down and stop you. That doesn't happen in space. Yeah. So we could use half the fuel <laughs> or, you know, nuclear power or some other form of power and propulsion in space. Right now, it's all about getting out into space. Right. Um, anywho, <laughs> that was a long, long way around. But, um, yeah, there was two accidents there. Yeah. Two and, crashes. And if you even dive in more, it, there was multiple claims of of accidents around that area. Not even in just in the Roswell area, not including the entire North American solar system and, and, or North American country and, and, or continent. And, and one thing that we have to keep in mind, again, like we, we've been seeing, saying the last couple of episodes, is the Los Alamos National Laboratories in New Mexico capital of Santa Fe was constructed during the 1940s as a facility to research the, and build atomic bombs. Right. It was our first headquarters of a of our atomic department, I mean that right that, there that is say, significant, right? It, it, it absolutely is, and the fact that we're we're seeing so many UFO sightings in at this time period, it's almost like the aliens are trying to help us out. And, and, and like I said, they could have taken us out years ago, years ago. I mean, it's 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 not like they they have the power to travel thirty light years or whatever. They have they have the power to travel one light year. They are far and above what we are capable of. Yeah. And their weapon systems will be far and above what we're capable of. They would squash us like a bug. We are literally like, if we would go back to the 1700s with the equipment and weapons we have, <laughs> that's, what, that's what they are to us. Right. I mean, we are so far behind them, it's not even I'll funny. hit you with a musket. Right. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm going to hit you with an Abrams. <laughs> good. I mean, yeah. Good luck, buddy. I got my, my tank over here. <laughs> my... my, my my jet that's going to just I'm going to hit you with a stealth fighter that you can't even see. You it, can't even see it. It yeah. hits you from three miles away. Let me just nuke you for Listen, real quick and you'll be funny done. Funny story. And and we'll wrap up, uh, Brett, because we are already way over. <laughs> funny story. I used to work. I used to do. Re- Jerry and I both were retail managers. And I, I was a manager of a, a company that was based out of Abilene, Kansas. And we went there every year for a manager's meeting. Um. About three o'clock one morning, the whole, whole the entire hotel started shaking. Boom, boom, and we're like, "What the is that?" Yeah. <laughs> so we're all coming down the lobby, and there's some little old guy down there working third shift in the lobby, and he's like, "Y'all can go back to bed. It's just Junction City down the road." Oh my god! So Junction City, Kansas, which is right down the road. Is military base. Yeah. Guess what they do at Junction City? What? It is the home of the M1 Abrams tank. Oh, my gosh. And what they were doing was doing nighttime uh, oh, fire drills yeah. with their Abrams. So 20 miles down the road was shaking our hotel, was shaking oh, the windows in our gosh. hotel. They were... Firing them puppies off. Talking about, we took one of them back to the 1700s. You're right. about crazy. I mean, you think it, in the world's happening. Yeah. It was, I mean, we thought that. I mean, right. 
it was crazy. crazy. Oh but it was gosh. it was neat. That's when I started to learn about the Abrams because they had like little pamphlets on it. Thirty-five miles an hour, rough terrain could knock a bird off of a branch. That's how freaking awesome these things are. And they've only gotten better. That was twenty years ago, so. right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And we talk about all these like weapons that back in the nineteen forties. Like, how much have we've gotten past that? You know, yeah. just like the they had a P fifty one Mustang prop plane was their air superiority fighter. We have this F thirty five stealth fighter that, and that's what we know about. That's what we right. know about, right? It's like the AI stuff. It's like Chappie DP is awesome. That's the AI that is released to the public. That's <laughs> what like, they allow us to know about. They don't like, want us to know about the Terminator shit that's about to happen right. because it's about to happen. Jeez. Anyway, so it, what, do you, what do you think, Steve? This is this is stuff newsworthy or not? Man, we're still in Roswell. Roswell's still the kickoff, the catalyst, if you will, to the UFO phenomena, and I believe. In my heart of hearts, that not one, but both accidents. We still have people researching today. We still have people there finding stuff today from these two accidents. I 100% agree. And like I said, I don't want to keep bringing up the same dude. Bob Lazar, when he was talking about Area 51, when he worked there, he said there was, it was either 9 or 11 aircraft that they had. And he had worked on one of them. And he... Bob Lazar, I, I think he's like I'm ninety five, ninety ninety to ninety five percent sure that he's telling the truth. And just if you think of that, there's multiple instances of crashes that have been covered up that we've recovered. Here's the thing that I, I think about Bob Lazar: if Bob Lazar was a multimillionaire living in the Caribbean yeah. somewhere because of all of his stuff, I would be like eh, much more skeptical. But he really wasn't. He's not. He, he lived a very humble life. He lived a very... He's still living a humble life. I mean, right. Um, it's not like he's used this information to get rich. Yeah. Um, it's not like he's on a world tour of talking. Yeah. Um, he's done the rounds. He's been on Joe Rogan. He's done some of the bigger ones. But it, it it's a reach to get him because he tries to stay out of the light as much as it is. And to me, if... If he was um, using hyperbole or he was exaggerating, he would be out there a lot more. And you can tell. So, like I said, I'm an engineer. You know, it, he's, he's he claims to be a physicist. You know, you can tell that he knows what he's talking about. Right. It's the, not like a, a, a everyday everyday Joe Schmo, like you know, saying, "Oh, I seen aliens." Like right. It's, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he's he's a smart dude. And Tom continues to prove him right. The the elements we talked element about. Element one fifteen. Yeah. I mean, it's just like um, you know, the fact that he went to MIT, but MIT miraculously has no record he was there. You don't make that stuff up, especially when he's got buddies that said, Yeah, I had class with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was in my class. I remember Bob in class. Yeah. <laughs> so teachers, professors, the same. Yeah, I remember seeing Bob. <laughs> so, but he, there's he no actually worked. Record. He worked at the Los Alamos National Laboratory. He worked yeah. on nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> he so, worked there. Yeah, you know, it's just like. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, anyway, so yeah. I, uh, I give it two big thumbs up. I 100 percent give it two big thumbs up. In, anything that we need to learn about, you, you know. And here's the sad part about Roswell. 
anyone who was attached officially to Roswell at this point is either 120 or they passed. Right. So you got to kind of have, you have their kids, their kids, kids. And that becomes secondary information. And that becomes very, well, even like what I talked about my brother-in-law, you know, with his grandfather who supposedly worked on Roswell, you know, his secondary, you know, story of, you know, what his grandfather had told him. It's just like, yeah, like you said, it, it we're getting secondary information at this point. We're not able to right, and and we never will get that. We we are unfortunately a generation past being able to get that firsthand knowledge. And something else I really would like to get that would lock this down for me is people who've worked at or with people at Wright Pat. Yeah, Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio before Area Fifty One before Groom Lake. That was the place. That's where all the weird shit happened. And I would really like to talk to people there. I've been there. It's an amazing place. If you're ever near Dayton, Ohio, go see Wright Pat Air Force Base and Museum. They have a museum there. It's amazing. It's a beautiful day. You should go check it out. But uh and then ask her the questions. For yeah. real. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But anywho, I give it definitely two big thumbs up. Me too. Awesome. Man, that episode is really interesting. And if you'll stick around for us for just a few commercials, we have another great story to tell you. Hi, this is Ed Locke with USA Mortgage. When it comes to buying a home, the process can be overwhelming and confusing. With so many options, it can be hard to know where to start. That's why it's important to work with a certified mortgage loan originator. I have the knowledge and expertise to guide you through the process and find the best mortgage option for you. I will work with you every step of the way to ensure that you are getting the best deal possible. So if you're looking to purchase or refinance, please reach out to me at 502-680-0953. So don't take on the stress of buying a home alone. Work with me and I will make your dream a reality. Trust the professionals and make your home buying experience a positive one. MLS ID 448908, DAS Acquisition Company, LLC, doing business as USA Mortgage, MLS ID 227262. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions apply. USA Mortgage is equal housing opportunity. If you want us to review or rate your product on air, if you have suggestions for new episodes, awesome ghost stories, or anything else, please reach out to us. Our email address is newsworthywithstephenjerry at gmail.com. Our text number is area code 540-709-1318. And now, back to the story. Why He Carried the Turkey. This is a short story by James Baldwin, and it's fitting for the season. In Richmond, Virginia, one Saturday morning, an old man went to the market to buy something. He was dressed plainly. His coat was worn and his hat was dingy. On one arm, he carried a small basket. I wish to get a fowl for tomorrow's dinner, he said. The market man showed him a fat turkey, plump and white, ready for roasting. Ah, that is just the one I want, said the old man. My wife will be delighted with it. He asked the price, and he paid for the turkey. The market man wrapped it in paper, round it, and gave it and put it in the basket. Just then, a young man stepped up. I will take one of those turkeys, he said. He was dressed in fine style, and he carried a small cane. Shall I wrap it for you, asked the market man. Yes, here's your money, answered the young man. 
send it to my house at once. The market man sighed and said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. My errand boy is sick today and there's no one else to send. And besides, it's not our custom to deliver the goods. Then how am I to get this thing home? Said the young man. I suppose you're going to have to carry carry it yourself, said the market man. It's not that heavy. Carry it myself? Who do you think I am? Fancy me carrying a dead turkey along the street, said the young man. And he began to grow very angry. The old man who had bought the first turkey was standing quite near and had heard all of this. And he simply leans over and says, Excuse me, sir, but may I ask where you live? I live at number nine, or 39 Blank Street, the young gentleman said. My name is Johnson. Well, that's lucky, Mr. Johnson, said the old man, smiling. I happen to be going that way and would be happy to carry your turkey for you, if you'd allow me. Certainly, said Mr. Johnson. Here it is. You may follow me. When they reached Mr. Johnson's house, the old man polite, politely handed him the turkey and turned to go. Here, my friend, what shall I pay you, said the young man. Oh, <laughs> I don't need your money. Nothing, said the old man. It was no trouble to me, and you're welcome. He bowed and went on. Young Mr. Johnson looked after him and wondered. Then he turned and walked briskly, briskly back to the market. Who was that old gentleman who carried my turkey for me, he asked of the market man. That is John Marshall. He is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, the market man said. He's one of the greatest men that's ever lived in our country. The young gentleman was shocked and, quite honestly, ashamed. Why did he offer to carry my turkey, he asked. Probably because he wished to teach you a lesson. That no man should feel no man should feel himself too fine to carry his own packages. Oh no, said another man who had seen and heard it all. Judge Marshall carried the turkey simply because he wished to be kind and obliging, because that was simply his way. John Marshall was the chief justice of the Supreme Court for almost oh man, fifteen years. Back in the 1577, or no, 1877, all the way up to 18, I forget the dates. Just goes to show you, though, you never know who you'll meet at a market, huh? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and Jerry, if you can't see the light, be the light.